Hi, welcome to Agora Community Radio, the podcast for artists in the animation industry who want to listen and learn on the go. This episode is from our A Conversation With series, where we invite pros from all walks of our industry to have a chat with us about their background and experiences, and then we finish it off with a little Q&A from the audience. You can always head on over to our website, agora.community, to watch the full video, or if you just want to listen to what we think are the most interesting bits and pieces of these conversations, you can listen to the Agora Bytes clips on this channel. And now, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Hello, Agora community. How are you doing this fine afternoon? Uh, well, I guess it could be morning, could be evening even for you, depending on where you're watching. Uh, we have another conversation with today. Let me just fix this microphone. It's a bit too far away from me. Um, and uh, today we have none other than Mr. John Hoffman. Uh, John Hoffman is um, currently uh, working for Pixar. Um, he's been there for a while. Um, he just put out a, uh, a movie not so long ago as head of story. Uh, it was a little, a little movie you might have heard of um, called Luca. Uh, which has done very well. Very good movie. I, I'm not just saying that because he's here. I really, really did enjoy it. Um, obviously, um, it might come up a little bit in the conversation today. Um, John and I actually go way back. We went to college together, um, and I got to spend a small stint being his personal slave on his uh, final third year project, which uh, was always, which always fun. I think um, it. Um, I, I think that I'm still his personal slave. I think it's really what it comes down to. So uh, once a slave, always a slave to John Hoffman. Um, although I do enjoy it because John is a very great guy, lots of uh, creative energy, and I never, ever, ever bore of a conversation with this man. So it should be good having him in today. And uh, of course, David is here to uh, back me up and um, and be my, uh, my partner in crime. So I'm going to bring in David first and we'll bring in John. David Hubert. Oh hi! Hi. <laughs> you try to make that that little uh, that little moment. You're perfecting it every uh, single time. Actually, this one was uh, was actually genuine. I was literally <laughs> taken. I, I thought you would bring me in like five seconds after you you did. Well, so well, there hey, you go. I got you this time. How are you? I'm good. How's your morning morning going so far? Not bad. My other than the fact that my eye, as you can see, is completely uh -oh. is completely completely <laughs> broken. <laughs> So it is 100% broken. I don't know. Some, my, something's inflamed with my eyelid. So, you know, that's this. You asked, and, and that's, the, that's the honest answer. My eyes looks like it's going to explode. So hopefully it doesn't. It, it would be interesting if that happens on stream. We'll see. Do you think it's actually gradually going to get worse and worse? And eventually it's all your face that will it, it be might, inflated? It, and <laughs> it, I, I hope in a, in a weird sort of twisted kind of like looking for new content kind of way that that actually does occur. Uh, it could, it could make for a really interesting stream. So, uh, yeah. And then we'll people see. can just, you know, speed scroll through the stream and they, yeah. they see your <laughs> face inflate in it real time. To, it's like undulating. It's like, Oh my God, it's actually vibrating. <laughs> yeah. That's it's good. We'll see. We'll see. All right, let's bring John. It's getting right. out of control. It's perfect time. Perfect time to bring John. We can maybe he can he can lance my eye. Here we go. Hello, John. I'm concerned about your eye. <laughs> Most, mostly Good. because uh, I like that you say that you were my personal slave, and it reminds me that I actually have a few cells that I need you to paint. For God me. damn it! <laughs> damn it! Yeah, this might get in the way of that. It'll definitely yeah. slow me down. I'm not gonna lie. Uh -huh. That in my my old man steadiness is going to well, be a little bit difficult but that it it'll make for interesting cell painting if it becomes a problem in boxing don't they just kind of cut it so you know 
Yeah, that I mean, yeah, I should probably just take one for the team. You're right. Yeah, yeah, that does bring back the memories, doesn't it? The uh, the good old days of painting (laughs) painting uh, non digital cells. Yeah, Yeah, not not fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we come from the era of 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 learning animation where we did it on paper and on celluloid, and then of course, um, and then, you know, uh, having to paint with real real paint, not digital yeah. ink and paint here. Yeah. We're talking about like quite literally real paint. On I have a couple cells kicking around here somewhere. I got to dig them up. But um, actually, is it something that you, sorry? Is it actually something that you guys are missing? Is there a little bit of nostalgia that <laughs> oh the good old days, or it's more like us? Uh, Screw it. I mean, I want my undo button. <laughs> I I miss I miss uh, I miss paper for uh, animating, but I I don't miss di- digital cell painting and all that is way better. And you know, yeah. sitting under the hot cameras, yeah, yeah. I, I knew you were gonna bring up that. It's like, that is something that honestly, incremental like, turning, click, oh. more click. Yeah, because this is this predates like yeah we're not we're not we're, we weren't scanning these into a computer we were like painting yeah. doing it all by hand and then having to put in like literally on actual like was it sixteen millimeter film we were using it was an eight it was sixteen right uh I don't even remember yeah, that's I how bad remember. I am <laughs> that's sad okay yeah, but no, yeah I it was the, I think the I think the two big cameras were like sixteen I don't know if the I don't yeah, know if yeah. the ones that we are shooting pencil tests on yeah I, th- I think i think you're right but yeah so they they had these 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 rooms and the oxbury room was the one that the third years yeah. were using because they had a compensating pan sort of like device and it was and it was like the this is predating led studio lights so the the heat coming off of these gigantic like incandescent lights with reflectors was uh, quite real and so it was like you felt like you were in a freaking tanning salon just trying to like get these uh freaking yeah. cells shot it was crazy my my favorite was there was this really awesome guy named Carl who ran the camera room yeah, room and he, he was, was awesome. he was an amazing photographer absolutely outside of school but I <clears throat> walked by his office one day and he'd taken apart uh, this keyboard and it was for a computer that like predated the Vic twenty <laughs> and it was the oh, computer gosh. that they used to calculate the camera moves that we would yep. shoot yeah and he was cutting <clears throat> out little circles of tinfoil. And placing them on each individual key because (laughs) he had to redo all of the connectors and he had to do this every year because that was the only computer that could run that program and no one would update it for him. So he would have to rebuild the keyboard every year. Oh my God. Oh my God. We're really talking about how, what dinosaurs we are right now. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I know. You could actually carbon date this conversation. Uh That's how old it is. Yeah. Like when our first, our first, uh, remember our first assignment where you would, carve your animation into the wall and then the teacher would have to like run across to <laughs> yes see i do right check how the movement was that's it no but we had a we had a pile piles of dirt to make sure there was a proper like gap in vision yep. so that as we were yeah it was like a kind of a it was like a zoetrope but like yeah. you, you were you were the zoa i guess yeah. and it the wall was the trope call a learning curve yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly much has changed since then i think <laughs> I would say depending on the age of the audience, there's many like me that are like, oh, this is super interesting. Yeah, and there's the just younger like, people that are like, question what the hell are they <laughs> even talking about? This is not making any sense. Exactly. I don't even yeah. understand the technology that they're referring yeah. to. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, there's a bit of an uh, an age gap in the um, in the audience when there's some people who are just like, this is a history lesson. And then this is a, yeah. I don't even know. I don't have no reference point. Yeah, yeah that's good. And 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 another... just a fancy coat that you can buy in london yeah <laughs> exactly, exactly but the good oh, thing man. is that you guys could make up 
any shit up. And oh, yeah, yeah. Most people were like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Well, the truth is everything was made up except for the cave story. That was totally real. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, John, I mean, you've had a very interesting trajectory since since the good old days in those uh -huh. Oxbury rooms. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't even know where to start because it's funny. When I tell people about you, I'm like, yeah, you know, I know a guy who works at Pixar and he does a story now. But like the, the weirdest part about that is, is as awesome as that is, um, like it's like there are so there were so many moments in your life that were just like, what the right. like? So I don't even know what like maybe you can just for fun, just try to like this is going to be going to be weird because it's going to like ping pong a lot. But maybe give mm -hmm. us a really condensed version of more or less what happened since school, kind of like the, the hit the, the, the main milestones. And then we'll kind of dig into a couple of those ones that I find particularly okay. uh, conversation worthy. I'll, I'll try to give the uh truncated um, yeah version. i mean do your so, best it's always hard when you have as many things in your yeah. on your belt as you do but yeah <laughs> so i graduated from sheridan at a really <clears throat> uh great time to be yeah. in animation it was like the only time in my whole life that i've had good timing because i graduated <laughs> in sort of the mid to late 90s when the animation boom happened so <clears throat> when i got into animation it was kind of like all right if you want to work in feature you can work at Disney and that's it. Otherwise you're going to yeah. go work, you know, in Toronto at a TV studio and, and that's sort of your options. So we're like, Oh, I wanted to, but then all of a sudden this boom happened. <clears throat> Disney had all these successful movies. So Warner brothers, DreamWorks opened. Um, yeah. And, uh, Fox. and then another company called Fo uh, Fox animation and Don Bluth and Gary <clears throat> Goldman, who had done a bunch of films, uh, over the years in LA and also in Ireland uh, were running the studio mm. at Fox. And so I got hired by them out of school. And so I worked at, at Fox for uh, four years on as a rough in-betweener uh, in the animation department on uh, Anastasia, Titan AE, and a direct-to-video called Bartok the Magnificent, who was the bat character from Anastasia. Yeah. And then uh, Fox... Uh, shut down, everyone got laid off, and uh, Don happened to be um, doing a video game where they were redoing Dragon's Lair, and yeah. they were doing it for, it was kind of the, I think it was PlayStation 1 GameCube kind of generation, and it was going to be a 3D update of the game, and then Don yeah. was directing and animating uh, the the sort of uh, cinematics of the beginning and the end of the movie. And for whatever reason, uh, I'd gotten on Don's radar and I ended up getting brought on and to uh, help on that, um, on that game. And so the crazy. first couple, and my whole, my whole goal going into animation at that time was story was not really on my radar. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to be, I wanted to be an animator. That's what, that was my goal. <laughs> And uh, I would go up and sort of check out because there was sort of a, Don did a lot of the boards on the movies, but there was a period of time on Titan where there was a bit of a story team. And so I would go talk to those guys, but I was always kind of like, eh, I can't draw that well. I can't do what they do. But I, I, was, I was intrigued by what they do, but I was like, I just don't have that, that skill set. And then 
so I was working with Don, I was his assistant. So he was animating, I was doing all the other assistant work on his stuff. And he just one day said, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I want to animate. And he goes, all right. And he put a stack of scenes on my desk. You're an animator. <laughs> and so I got to animate Dragon's Lair, which was awesome. Because I awesome. played that game when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. And so I was doing that and assisting mm -hmm. Don. And while that was going on, am I already going on too long? No, no, this is good. But like, so, just, I mean, this is obviously one of the pit stops I wanted to make because yeah. I find this whole period of your life fascinating. You're just throwing it out there so nonchalantly, but like little details you haven't actually, you know, being a story uh, guy, I would have figured you would have put a couple of more interesting factoids out there. Yeah. This was done. Where exactly were you at this time? So location wise, because yeah, I find so this kind of funny. Don and Gary had um, this warehouse that was full of their uh, artwork. Yeah, that's um, it. Like full of uh, stacks and cells, boxes. Actually, as we were talking about earlier, so yeah, we did a, yeah. we did a soft setup and not knowing it, storytelling, Brent. Storytelling. Yeah, you, um, you see, you're yeah, you were working on another dimension. That's the problem. You you work you operate in a spectrum of light that I can't see. That's yeah, well played, John. Don's boards and a bunch of pitch artwork, and it was just this big warehouse, mm. and it was just like stacks and stacks of drawings and art, and yeah. then there were these two little offices in the front, and that's where we were working out of. And the goal was, is that they, Don was going to get his next thing going. And then we would move to sort of a, you know, a, a, a proper facility. This is in Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah. And so, um, while I was Just the working, three of you, yeah, it was me, Don and Gary. And then there was like a couple other, uh, there coming in there that was helping Don with his magazine that he was doing at the time. And then oh, right. one other kind of just office person, yeah, and yeah. Then, uh, Gary's Gary's son was there uh helping out as well especially when they needed to do camera work and stuff because that's what okay. they did at the studio got it um but anyway so i was animating and working on don's stuff and don would kind of poke his head in because the plan was is he wanted to megan's lair movie and so don yeah. would go hey i had this i was thinking about this part in the movie where this happens and dirk does this and then maybe this and i'd be like oh yeah that's really cool what if this happened and what if this happened and what if you added this and don'd be like oh yeah interesting and then don would go back to his desk and keep and so we're wrapping up work on um the game and don uh goes hey uh do you want to stay and help me write the dragon's lair movie and i was like yeah sure so uh so yeah they, sure uh, i got nothing else on going on yeah, so i guess i so might they, as well yeah, so they took care of my uh, visa. I had a very weird, I can tell that story if you want, but I had a very weird uh, experience having to get my um, visa, getting in the, you know, traveling up into the yeah. uh, woods of Washington State and getting in a car with someone I haven't met before and driving over <laughs> the border. It was really strange. Anyways. That sounds, sounds totally yeah. legit. Yeah, totally. Actually, were, was, you, were you writing... Were you riding on in, in an actual seat in the car, or was were you in a were you were you riding in the trunk? Like I'm just, I mean, yeah, my I it sounds a little up. bit like a smuggling operation. Yeah, I'm just saying, I was taped up. He said it was just part of the. <laughs> oh, okay, it was like a normal way of John transporting. Paid for. Okay, got it, and, got it. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, no, it was yeah. The he was really nice. He was like an ex border guy. He took me to for lunch to Denny's. And we had really awkward conversation. <laughs> I had a lot of anxiety. Oh my and God. then we drove over the border and then <clears throat> met with the border guys and he talked to him first. And then I had to go through all my paperwork. 
visa stuff is exactly what you guys wanted to hear. Anyways, got my visa, went <laughs> That's back. Amazing. I'm gonna I'm gonna speed up the rest of it to get okay. to Pixar, and then you yeah. can and then you can figure out what part. You can cherry you pick. To stretch All right, out. sounds good. Sounds good. Um, so <laughs> worked at worked with Don and Gary for uh, a long four time, five years. Yeah, and just could not get. <laughs> They just could not get anything off the ground. It was really hard getting a movie going. And um, Gary got involved with this other company and he was on the, mm -hmm. their board. And uh, it was this guy that had uh, self-published a book called Ollie the Otter in Northern mm -hmm. California up in the San Francisco area. And uh, he was trying to make a small independent studio to make a CG film based on his book. Yeah. And... Uh, so I got hired as a character designer there. And by that point, uh, uh, my then girlfriend, uh, currently wife, uh, Nikki, uh, we desperately wanted to get out of Phoenix. And this was our, this was our chance to yeah. so jumped at it. And uh, I was so and I kind of wore just like when I was at Bluth, I got to wear a bunch of different hats. Like I pretty much did everything at Bluth. I got to do layout, yeah. a little boards, background painting. Uh, effects animation, character animation, all of it. That's cool. And uh, so I started as a character designer there, but <clears throat> quickly got pulled into the story side of things. Uh, so it begins. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> we worked on three projects there. Again, uh, really hard to uh, make an independent film because you get in this catch-22 of you either, you know, the the studios are like hey great if you've got funding we will give you distribution and the money people are like hey if you've got distribution we will give <laughs> yeah. you funding so that didn't happen fell apart um i was freelance for a little while i boarded i did some freelance boarding i did some really terrible boards on wolverine and the x-men uh show and then um and then a bunch of freelance i did like a uh, video game concept art on some really weird um really weird uh video games like um uh designing a cheerleader costume and pom-poms for a triceratops we can talk more <laughs> about that if you want and <laughs> and then uh, my wife and i moved up to portland oregon and my yeah. goal was is i wanted mm -hmm. to get in at Leica, but i we didn't have a job but it was cheaper mm -hmm. to live up there uh, bay area is super expensive and so i just i worked freelance mm -hmm. for a year and then ended up getting a job and worked in story at Leica on Paranorman. So that was sort of my first feature credit uh, yeah. in story. Um, and I worked, uh, I did some commercial stuff there and then that kind of fizzled out. And then um, one of the guys I worked with at Critter Picks, which was the company that was doing Ollie the Otter and those movies, um, he had started a new company. It was a video game company uh, and it was sort of sold to me as one thing and then it became something else. And, uh, mm. it was a bit of, uh, it was bit a bit of a, of a nightmare. Mm. Um, and I was, uh, I was the, I was the art director there. So that was sort of my, one of my mm. early opportunities to kind of lead a team. And it was yeah, all, exactly. it was all, uh, done remotely online. But the plan was, is that mm. I was going to move back to Marin County, North of right. San Francisco and work there. Um, and luckily uh as uh i was kind of going oh no i've made a horrible mistake i, re I remember this actually just because it was yeah it was just not the type of what i do i got yeah. a call 
from Pixar. I had applied to Critter Picks was starting to go down in flames. I got a job interview at Pixar. I sent, I'd sent my portfolio in three times and didn't get anything. And then I got our, I finally got a, a job interview, had the job interview. This was like 2007, did not get the job. And then I sent my portfolio again in when we were up in Portland in like 2000 and it was 2009, I think maybe yeah. 2000 or maybe it was 2008. It might've been like mid 2000, I think it was mid 2008. And again, I got an interview. They flew me down. I, the interview went really well. I sort of recognized the mistakes I made in my first interview <laughs> and uh, the interview went really well. And I was like, Oh, I think this is going to happen. And then the recruiter, uh, I, you know, was in contact and nothing was happening for weeks and weeks and weeks, mm -hmm. but I was in fairly consistent contact with the recruiter. And finally the recruiter was like, listen, we're not hiring you, but we're not not hiring you. Right. And I was like, what does that mean? Yeah. Okay, thanks. Good luck. Um, <laughs> hang up. And uh, later, now that I've been at the studio, mm. I know exactly what happened. And basically, I, the project that they had targeted me for fell apart mm. after my interview, which also happened yeah. the first time I interviewed at Leica. So I'm cursed. Um, yeah. And you. so... Uh, I didn't get, I didn't get hired because that project got shelved yeah. and then cut to a year and a half later, I'm at this video game company and just starting to realize that I'm not enjoying the work that we're doing. And it's different than sort of what I was hoping we were going to do. <clears throat> and, uh, I got a call out of the blue from Pixar and they wanted to talk. And I, so I was talking on the phone thought it was going to be all right we'll set up another interview you can fly down i thought it was going to be the same thing and over the course of the conversation i was like you're kind of talking to me like i'm already hired and then <laughs> by the end of the conversation i'd been offered the job oh that's and so, so awesome. a year and a half after my yeah. interview i got offered the job and i started there in 2011 and then very quickly the i worked on some shorts i worked on the toy story of terror tv special cars three and <clears> then luca and then now I'm talking to you guys. There, uh, I, I like how we're like at least a milestone somewhere. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> and my apologies for how awesome. long that was. That was not very succinct. Well, I mean, it's like I like I said, this was going to be a challenge because it said yeah. it has been an, an interesting an interesting I journey. A lot with, of stuff too. <laughs> I, that's it. I know that's the thing. But I mean, if people only knew how condensed that actually was, then they would really be fascinated. Because it is, it Maybe. is, it has been interesting. I mean, I, the time I think you could you could go on for hours for sure, just telling all the crazy stories about that time with um, with Gary and 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 Don. I mean, like yeah. I can only imagine like the antics of like like it just it just it's it almost needs to be a reality show. Like the mm -hmm. fact that it was you know you working in the same room with these two titans. Yeah, it's so I think, weird. I think part of the problem though is is that um, you know. Don and Gary have kind of been out of the spotlight, mm. the animation spotlight, which is different yeah. than the spotlight spotlight. Yeah. But yeah. Even though the animation spotlight for a while. So I think, you know, with uh, younger generations, their work doesn't carry the same <clears throat> weight. Like for mm. guys our age, yeah. that their, their stuff, Super like Secret nostalgic. of the, Secret of yeah. is the reason I got into animation. Exactly. Is the reason I got into animation. Exactly. And so, and now people are just, just it's like not, it's Don totally Who? Yeah. It's like, you know, it's Pixar yeah, it. or DreamWorks or, yep. you know, yep. uh, Blue Sky, whatever. <clears throat> it's that stuff or, or Ghibli. 
Um, it's yeah. sort of those, those are sort of the benchmarks That's it. now. That's the, the new benchmarks. I'm, I'm yeah. wondering, like you touched on, there was a theme that kind of developed a little bit while you were talking about how you were working with like, like legends, like, I mean, in their own right. And uh -huh. yet they had a hard time getting things off the ground and it had to do with this catch 22. I'm wondering if you, if you think that the, the, the game is changing a little bit now that with like Netflix and all these, like, I mean, distribution is not what it used to be. You know what I mean? Like it's, I wonder if that sort of can, do we detect a change in, in the, in the, in the, in the winds these days with regards to try to get projects off of the ground potentially? Um, well, I, I still think it's, you know, money is a huge component in being able yeah, to sure. finance these things. I yeah. think, I think if you're able to put the money together, um, I think some form of distribution, whether it's uh, streaming, you know, I think theatrical is still as it's ever been maybe even yeah. tougher now. Um, but mm -hmm. I, as far as streaming is concerned, because they're always looking for that, uh, the word I don't like content. Um, mm -hmm. They're, since they're looking for that, you know, it's, I think it's easier to kind of find a way to get your, your movie, um, out there, Yeah. but yeah. I still think there's uh difficulty, but there's definitely more avenues. Like you can go to Netflix or you can go to Apple yeah. or Amazon or Hulu or whatever. Just, and, yeah. yeah. It just seems like there's options and it just seems like, I feel like lately we've seen stuff come out that I feel like might, maybe might, might not have had a chance before a little bit more niche. Right because it feels like the barrier of entry seems to be softening a little bit just because of the, just if anything, because of the market share, you have all these companies are trying to get new content, even though you're allergic to that word out there. Um, and, and so they're, they're willing to dip, dig, dig a little deeper into the unknown and take some yeah. risks that other otherwise might not have been made because the cost of distributing is much lower. I mean, it's not, not the cost of production. Cost of production has probably gone up because of the quality mm -hmm. bar and expectations have raised, but it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. Just thought it, it's an interesting, um, an interesting point that uh, yeah, I, I'm I curious. Think the, I think the, I think the risk side though mm. is more in uh, the type of stories they're willing to tell. Like if you look yeah. at a lot of the awesome animated content that's come out yeah. of Netflix from yeah. their studio has been yes. a lot more interesting than we've had in you know arguably decades in animation. Exactly, and, and I think exactly. those potentials are really great. I don't yeah. know if um, I don't know if that's really helping independent creators because I think the mm. I think part of the problem is is that uh, the typical the typical model for making uh, let's just say making a, a a feature animated film the typical yeah. model is you get people to invest in the movie invest mm. in the company and then that movie hopefully has a theatrical run that's successful and then they the people that invested get you know a really yeah. good uh, return on their investment from the theatrical release. Yep. And if it goes to streaming, typically it's sort of, you know, Netflix will be like, yeah, this is great. We'll put this on our platform, but it's kind of a flat rate. And I don't think the deals are really, you know, uh, uh, I don't think you get like a percentage of whatever Netflix determines through their algorithms and stuff of like how well that movie has done for them. So yeah. I, I, it's a different it's a different model that I think is kind right. of hard. I think people are so still trying to figure out how that works. Right. So not necessarily easier, just different. Get yeah. a chain. Yeah. It makes like sense. Like I'd, I'd I'd be curious to know, because um, you've got uh, uh, 
you know, uh, like Braun in Canada did Chris Perrin's film, uh, The Willoughby's, and, and it, yeah. it went to Netflix. Exactly. And granted, that was a, you know, the budget for a feature. It looked amazing for what they spent on it. It was, but it was still like a lot of money. And I don't know, you know, how much sort of if they made profit or not off of yeah. whatever they sold it yeah. to Netflix for. And the same goes for um, Mitchell's versus yeah. the Machines. You know, yeah, Sony yeah, exactly. put all this money into making that movie. I don't know if yeah. they got, you know, did they get their money back? Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's, it's it, that's it seems... a weird that's a weird area right now, and it's better than you know they would have lost it because they couldn't do theatrical. But yeah, going straight to uh, straight to um, Netflix Stream. when you don't yeah. own, you know, that's the thing that I think has kind of helped Pixar is that Disney has its own streaming platform. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. It, it seemed that before it was way more transparent that you would literally, after one or two weeks, go on Box Office Mojo, you would look at the numbers and like, mm -hmm. wow, okay, that's a successful feature. We can probably anticipate that there'll be a sequel and, and all that. It. Now it, it's just on, on Netflix. I mean, it might be on a top 10 somewhere, but yeah. there's basically no way for the public to know if a how successful a, a, a movie was. So that's definitely, definitely a change of, uh, of paradigm um, yeah. to, this, uh, to this regard. I think the, the other thing that's kind of a bummer about the, the pandemic and just talking about going to, to streaming is I think for, <clears throat> well, I think for live action too right now, but I think for animation in particular, um, the view of sort of sending something directly to uh, directly to streaming instead of, you know, releasing it theatrically is kind of the equivalent of the nineties direct to video thing. Exactly. There's kind yeah. of a, there's kind of a stigma associated with that, which I don't think is mm -hmm. fair for the streaming because like, you know, <clears throat> uh, Mitchell's versus the machines was a fantastic yeah. quality movie, wise. Yeah. And it was really great. And, you know, did some really interesting stuff that, you know, uh, storytelling wise that movies haven't been able to do before. Like animation is very much put in kind of a box that I find really frustrating. And um, and the same kind of with Luca, uh, you know, I've gotten a lot of uh, comments from people and people in the industry, too, of like one of the things they liked about it is sort of how small the story is and that it isn't this big epic thing where lives and the world was in jeopardy mm -hmm. and everything and it was just kind of this small yeah. story about these two boys who were best friends and it was about this french this really important friendship that happened and um the thing that i think is a bummer about that with both of those movies from the sort of slightly different storytelling that was done is that if there was a box office number associated with that that it was successful it would tell the studios and the executives of like, oh, there's actually possibilities to stop looking mm -hmm. at animation as um, as a genre and looking at it as a medium that can tell a bunch yeah. of different stories. Yeah, and exactly. Because these movies that were a little off the beaten path um, were, you know, did really well theatrically. Um, we're going to be willing to sort of try some more stuff instead of kind of the typical stuff. But because yeah. those movies don't have that box office associated with them, you know, yeah, we'll never, we'll it's never so know and we'll continue yeah. streaming into the void. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, John, if you don't mind, I'd like to dive a little bit into the uh, the uh, storyboard because that yeah. that's something that I'm 
totally uh, fascinated with. And, you know, I had the opportunity to work with alongside a, a lot of very talented storyboard artists. Uh, what do you actually enjoy the most? Uh, brainstorming about the story, drawing, or pitching a sequence? Um, <laughs> I enjoy uh, <clears throat> I enjoy two of those three things. <laughs> Okay, uh, it's a game. Let, let's yeah, guess. <laughs> I, I think I think I know what it uh, is. I think it's. Um, I really like the. They're kind of two different uh, uh, things in a way. Like I love the, um, you know, as a, as a story soup, I get to be involved more at the front end and sort of the, the early days of story and like you know helping the writers and the director craft the story and break the story and figure out what the beats are and the order and all that. And that's really good. And that's a really great brain exercise. And it's, you know, it's pretty rewarding when things start to pull together and work. Um, but like uh, right now I'm helping out on another show and I'm, I'm, I'm just a story artist on the team boarding. And I'm like, Oh, I forgot how much I love just being able to put my head down and mm -hmm. board a sequence. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of problem solving that goes into that. Not only from a, you know, blocking and staging standpoint, but also sort of like, how do I, you know, how do I tell this story the best way that I can in this sequence? And, you know, do I, can I trim this down? Do we need this part? Um, is there, you know, it's sort of written, sometimes it's written like this happens and this happens and this happens. Um, and you're like, can I overlap all of those things <laughs> and sort of, you know, just make everything feel more organic and like it's really happening and stuff like that. So, those two things I really like, and I actually like pitching too, but I, it's not my favorite because it is, you know, different levels of pitching. Some people really put on and, um, I'm not like a crazy voice guy or anything like that. Um, mm. so I, I like to, uh, I like to kind of bring it down a little lower and, and have it yeah. more like I'm telling a story yeah. to the person. And that's kind of my pitching style, which I sort of, learned over the years of like oh that's really effective and i think i understand that and so you're sort of trying to to set a tone and you can get kind of crazy when there's funny stuff and things like that but it's sort of like you're trying to tell a story because a big part of it is you're trying to sell the director yeah. on what yeah, you're convincing. you know on what you've drawn and do you, do you, and, you remember uh, the you first know, time that you editorial. pitched? do you remember the first time you pitch a sequence uh well <laughs> i'll tell a story uh <laughs> I think the first time I pitched to a bigger room was when I was at, um, when I was at the studio in Marin at the, the smaller, um, the smaller startup studio. And it was a bunch of the sort of board directors and, uh, executives and stuff like that. And a lot of them had not worked in animation before. And this was, this was just before transitioning to boarding on the Cintiq. So I was still boarding on paper pinning up and pitching with a pitch stick. And uh, so we were, we, I had boarded, um, I had boarded two sequences for the movie kind of as proof of concept. And uh, you know, we got, we brought an editor on and we were cutting, we were cutting everything together. And uh, I knew we were screwed at the company uh, when I like, so I'd sort of actually, I know I'm getting the story wrong. I pitched, uh, I pitched a, um, I pitched a, a, a promo, like a, it was kind of like a teaser for the movie. And then they had, and then we had cut together 
uh, two sequence of the boards with like scratched audio and temp music and everything and sound effects. And then we showed that to the board of directors as well, just to get everyone excited. Mm. And um, first of all, not a lot of sense of humor in that group. So I died <laughs> on the wall when I was oh, pitching, man. it went really bad. And then things just got worse because then we showed them the two sequences and one of the guys on the board of directors leaned over to the head of the studio and was like, why is the animation so bad? And he could not tell the difference between <laughs> hand-drawn oh, pencil man. boards and finished rendered CG animation. And I was like, oh man, we are screwed. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be one of those kind of meetings. I was like, the, that was the oh, first man. pitching, pitching that uh, teaser. Um was the first time I kind of pitched to a big, and it was just like, I die. I just died right there. So I oh. built a, I built a thick, a thick skin pretty quickly. <laughs> uh, uh, another challenge that I found with a uh, storyboard artist is that, you know, usually it's version 13. That's going to be the final version or version 28. Right. And I, I work with a lot of great storyboard. Digit. Yeah. <laughs> they, <laughs> I work with a lot of great storyboard artists, but sometimes they were, a bit precious with their drawing so uh -huh. it, it, it felt so it feels that you need to love the process but you need to detach yourself from it because each version i mean if you have to do if the 20th version is the right one it means there's 19 that more or less going to go in the garbage and you have to do it uh -huh. again uh, is that something that you had to uh that you had a hard time to deal with in the beginning or you just embrace that the process is just about storytelling and might drawing don't really matter no. if they end up in the garbage it, it took me a long it took me a long time um i really did not like getting notes i found the process very <laughs> frustrating like i was just like you're ripping this apart do you know how much time i put into this you're just not you don't understand the work and the love and the sweat and the tears and the blood that i put in this and you're just tossing all of it what is wrong with you and it definitely took me a while to um, adjust to kind of that, you know, toss it, it's not working. And, and I think the bigger, I think the bigger thing is too, is as, as a story artist that a lot of the, a lot of the times when stuff gets tossed like that, it's the story that's not working. It's something wasn't set up properly. This is not the right version of the sequence. It's something beyond your control. Hmm. And it's sort of like, they cast you a thing you're uh, most of the time we're we're just trying stuff out like we're just putting it up and seeing if it works and if it doesn't work it's usually not like sometimes it's your fault but usually it's not your fault it's just sort of like all right we tried that it didn't work and it's it's learning not to take that personally and understand that it's you know it's not that the director didn't like your work it's not that the editor didn't like your work it's just that from the standpoint of story, which is the thing that we're trying to figure out, the thing we're trying to solve. And if that's not working, then it's got to go. Um, and I like when I was on Luca and boarding stuff, <clears throat> I found that uh, if I ever did a drawing that I was like, Ooh, I like that drawing. It almost. You're going to get, you're going to end up on the cutting room floor. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, it, it's it, 
it's very true that you have the story on paper, but you know until it's in drawing, it's on the and everyone can visualize where it is. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of ooh, yeah, that's actually, and sometimes there's a lot of happy mistake that you can do with. Uh, yeah. uh, I'm wondering if there was uh, some of those uh, on Luca that they were maybe not necessarily in the script that that were provided to the story team, but some took liberty improvisation, which actually. Uh, had an impact and made it to the uh, in the final movie. Yeah, I think I you know I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of little moments like that where uh, you know story artists find a little bit of business or some little moment that they kind of build out a little more than you expect, and you're like, oh man, that's great. Or sometimes it'll illuminate. Uh, an element of character that you didn't think. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh man, this opens up the whole world. And now we need to change this and change that. Um, there was a, one of the board artists on Luca. Um, we had, we'd given that we were sort of in the stages of like rebuilding the story. And so typically when we're doing that, it's kind of the, the soup, the writers and the director are, are in the room and they're trying to like break the story. And then, We'll sort of hit problems that, you know, I'll try to speak up and be like, hey, this is kind of a visual thing or we need some funny here or we need some sort of character thing here. You know, I think we should assign like, let's get the team brainstorming and we'll get some magic that you can then sort of pick and choose from and we can build that into the into the story. And so we are kind of at that stage and we'd given a brainstorm to some of the artists and um one of the one of the artists came to me uh, a few days after the a couple days after the brainstorm had been assigned and he was like uh hey um i didn't really do the assignment i just had this idea for the scene that i wanted to see and he's like i don't know if Enrico is gonna like it but he's like can i can i pitch it to you and we can decide if what we're gonna do with it and i was like yeah sure man i love this stuff let's do it so he took me into his office he picked out a temp score that he pitched to wow. it was a fucking killer sequence like it was so good and it was like this beautiful moment the writers didn't come up with it the director didn't come up with it i didn't come up with it just from the artist and uh and the thing that was great about it was you know it was something that we then pitched in the room to kind of the top brass and it allowed them to kind of see like oh this is the magic of the movie here. Now we understand what you're trying to do. Hmm. And so that is something that was completely hmm. created by a board artist and it, ended up and it's in the movie. Okay. I was just going to ask mm. that. Okay. That's very cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Actually, how did you see your, 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 your role as a head of story? Because you're kind of in charge of, you know, bringing the vision of the director and the writing team to, to life at the mm -hmm. same time, you're super, you're a leader for the story team. So you want to leave enough, room to breathe you, yeah and you don't want to control them too much so how did you see your uh, your role in this uh, in between those two worlds yeah so yeah the job the, it's like you said the job's kind of it's two parts the first part of it is um helping the director and the and the writers you know tell the story and you're in the room with cards or beats or whatever it is and then you're doing script review and giving notes and just trying to figure out how are we going to craft this story. And then, um, and then the director and I talk about how we're going to cast these sequences and who's the right artist for each sequence and casting. And then 
while they're boarding, um, you know, sometimes I get to do a little bit of boarding here. More, more of it on Luca for me was doing, you know, fixes and edit, or if we were like kind of trying to redo a chunk, I need to keep, I need to keep the team moving the ball down the field as we're trying to get to our next screening. So I'm sort of sends and like, all right, I'm going to board this section here. And then really the rest of it is, is supporting the team. You know, we had, uh, varying uh, skill levels and uh, levels of experience on the show. So some artists you have to work with more and it's like a mentorship role and you're trying to help them do the best job they possibly can so that they're impressing the director. And the big part of the job is you need to elevate, you need to elevate the team to a level that is, you know, getting the movie and the boards to where the director wants them to be and and mm. it's a different mm. level of working with with each artist and sort of you know it's kind of like working with actors in a way in live action like each person likes to work a different way and you kind of have to figure out how to get the best of each person yeah uh i believe enrico the uh, director was a storyboard artist before yeah. as well uh, yeah. right uh, and it seems that yeah. there's a lot of director and animation and oven even feature that i have a storyboard uh, artist uh, background is that something that you would aspire to to get to a director position uh possibly yeah yeah i think it, i i think it's uh it's interesting and you know if it's the right if it's the right story for sure um but you know that's a that's a path for another day Mm. <laughs> yeah, I I understand because Enrico, I mean, this this story was probably probably pretty close. Well, not probably, but like I I saw a bunch of little bits and pieces of the making of and um the 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 setting and the overall sort of like background and backdrop of this whole story. Um, the small town in Italy, uh, is very close to his heart, right? Like it's it's kind yeah. of like a lot of it was being pulled from his own life experience and um. Um, that must have been interesting in itself because I'm sure that the bar was probably set pretty high because it's like it's different to, to like when everyone's like thinking about a story that people can all kind of relate to, but it's not personalized in many ways. Like I'm not saying that it was personal to him, but I'm I, but I mean there are elements there that probably you know needed to resonate for him to be able to like make him feel like it was going down the right road. Did you find it like you know was that was that a, was that a unique challenge in your mind? Um, well, actually the story is pretty personal to Enrico because it's based on this very important friendship that he had. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Uh, wow. Growing up in Italy and that kid was kind of an Alberto and oh, Enrico that's so was cool. kind of a Luca minus the sea monster part. Um, oh, come on. <laughs> no, not, a, I, yeah. I was... <laughs> He's just a regular above was, ground Italian, that, not a sea uh, monster uh, Italian. That was, that was really um, excited there for a second. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, but yeah, so it was, that was a very important part. And it was yeah. the, that, that friendship was what the, mm -hmm. you know, what we all sort of kept going back to as trying to yeah. figure out okay. the core. And it, That's cool. it took some work to, to figure, A, to figure out how to make it work, but also B, to kind of push back on notes that we were mm -hmm. getting that weren't supporting that idea. Like there was, there were certain hallmarks within the story that were the reason that Enrico was telling the story. Yeah. 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 They're like pillars. Very, yeah. Defensive of like, we need to protect this. Like this yeah. is why he's telling the story. Yeah. It's that. That's you, right. And it's, it's all about getting everyone on the same page of going, all right, this is, these are the things 
these are the reason that we're telling this story. Yeah. And yeah. so you need to you need to figure out how to focus your notes, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how to uh, execute and do the best version of this possible. Like crazy yeah. other stuff is not going to help us right now. This right. is why. And it was like, it's a, it's a lot of work getting everybody. Sure. You know, in a to studio see that from, same vision. Yeah. So, okay. Wow. That's, I, did, I had no idea that. Cause I just thought it was like, he was like the setting and stuff like the small town in Italy and stuff was, was just sort of coming from his memory banks, but it's, I, I had no idea that it was really yeah. kind of like at a, drawn more heavily from a very personal sort of life experience is very cool um I, I got another question too like like it's because you're not you, we've we've spoken spoken to um some other people on this on this little show here that started in animation but ended up mm -hmm. um like for instance uh we had uh, troy queen a little while ago uh -huh. I know um, troy. yeah you do definitely know troy um and uh and he had similar sort of a similar story in many ways like this mm -hmm. idea like I my favorite moment of that conversation is when his 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 call to arms as far as story was department was concerned was like being tapped on the shoulder in toronto at core digital when they were making the uh they're making for the for the wild or whatever that, that yeah. i think it was the wild yep. yeah, it was and the it wild. was like some some producer tapped and said hey Hey, you're you're opinionated, or you have opinions. Do you feel like helping out with story? <laughs> and it was, was like apparently the nice way of saying that, like, okay, Mister Complainer, like that's, you got you got better ideas to put your money where your mouth is. Um, and uh, it sort of just took took off from there. But even after that, he still fell back on his sort of like he did that. He felt like that was a tour of duty for him that was interesting. He learned a lot right. from it. He enjoyed it. But he still his reflexes were was to to, to well, I mean, I I went to school for animation. That's what I that's what I'm supposed mm -hmm. to be. So he started doing animation work again but then got pulled back into story do you feel like was there a was was that was that that the transition from doing animation like work to story was it was it really natural or did you fight it at first um did it feel like did you do you feel like your time in animation aided your your sort of journey forwards as a story person um my mine my experience was actually a little was different from that uh you know i was uh rough in between her at Fox. I was trying yeah. to move up the ladder in the animation department. <clears throat> yeah. Um, because I did have training. There was a, there was a couple of opportunities on like Bartok and Titan where I did <clears throat> get to do some character animation, which was super cool. Yeah. And, uh, but I did kind of, I kept going to the, <clears throat> um, the story guys on Titan and yeah. they were really amazing artists. And there was something about it that I just like, right. there was the filmmaking and the storytelling. <clears throat> and then, on the side with some friends at work, we had this thing called film club where we were mm. all trying to figure out how to write screenplays. Right. And so we would write oh, like a fun. few pages a week mm. and then we would go over to our friend's house and, and, and we would sort of do a table read of the That's five so pages cool. that each of us had done. And we're trying to figure that out. So I was starting to kind of get interested yeah. in that. And then the blue thing happened and Don was tapping me for, but the, the thing that happened was, mm. you know, I animated on the Dragon Lair thing, which was super fun. And, you know, it was like uh, a dream, childhood dream realized kind of thing because I played that game and loved that character so much and yeah. loved drawing those characters. And then um, mm. we were doing, uh, this was back in the days of uh, just before the web bubble exploded. Mm. Um there was talk that we were going to, we, we started working on trying to do some Dirk the Daring webtoons. And so oh, I was really? animating on that and I was starting to realize, I was like, ah, 
So you're an animator now and you're not satisfied. You've achieved yeah, yeah. this goal that you've been That's it. going after yeah. for <laughs> the last, you know, five or six years of your career. And exactly. All of a sudden it's not. There it's were no lights shining down from heaven and yeah. like you weren't, you weren't, you know, you didn't ascend into the next level of existence. Yeah, I didn't, oh. I didn't experience Nirvana. The the light <laughs> did not shine down upon me. And I was right. just like, Oh, and so I had this like real crisis where I was like, Oh crap, yeah. What am I going to do? Yeah. 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 But I, I was doing that a little bit of, you know, story stuff with Dawn on the side. And I started to like, Oh, this is kind of cool. And then um, Dawn was, uh, starting to do boards on a, a freelance project that we got. And I was doing uh, uh, lighting guides with markers and charcoal and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then he was kind of apprenticing me in story. And uh, so I was getting to write and sort of craft story stuff, but then also I was boarding with him and then he would be kind of like, ah, I have this board and I have this board. I think there's like two shots in between. Can you figure what those out are mm -hmm. and draw those for me while I keep moving forward? And so I started, right. I would do like quick little boards in between and get him to check. And so that's sort of how I started to, okay. to figure things out. And when I started doing that was when I was right. like, oh, wait, I actually like this. Yeah, that I want right. to be a story artist. So I would yeah. go home at night and I would start boarding oh, wow. sequences okay. from, so I'd get home, I'd eat dinner and then you know, from seven o'clock until midnight or later, I'd start boarding sequences. And when I finally had some stuff that I thought was decent, I started sending it to studios because I wanted to okay. get a uh, story work. Okay. And wow. so I was doing that. And that's kind of how I got into it. And that's then got a totally hooked. different yeah. story than Troy. It was yeah. sort of like you kind of, you, you, what you, you were like, this is, I, this is what I want to be doing. Yeah. I didn't know until now, but this is it. Yeah. So animation was just uh, something that brought you to that, that, that sort of, you know, it was the gateway drug, I guess, yeah. to, to your new passion. That's fun. I think, the, I think the other thing too was, is that I really, like, I love drawing. I love drawing. Even when it's frustrating, I, I like it. And um, because of, you know, the time period that this is taking place in, which is the early 2000s, <clears throat> hand drawn animation was kind of going away and CG was. was becoming the thing. And yeah you know, uh, I've seen amazing animation and know amazing animators and it just, the uh, taking the drawn element away mm. from me and just sort of doing the performance. Like I like the performance side of it, but it's not, it, it was not yeah, enough to kind of sustain yeah, you, my insatiable yeah. hunger for drawing. And so <clears throat> luckily story kind of does that, but it also, yeah does the story thing, which I love. It's got drawing and then it's got all of the filmmaking stuff, which I also right. It's ticking love. a lot so of boxes. Sort of, it ticks all the boxes. For yeah. Me. You still, you've always been a very prolific sketcher. Do you, you still, I mean, I see every once in a while you drop something on Facebook, but like, oh, here we go. Here comes his book. <laughs> yes. <I have laughs> How many of these do you go now. through? How many of these do you go through? Like in like a, like in a couple um, months, like you, do you tear through them? Like I don't, I don't tear through them just because it's kind mm. of, when I have a little moment, but if I have, if I have like sequence work, I yeah. tend to not, I'll maybe do a little bit of drawing on the weekend, but I tend to not draw in the sketchbook during the week just because I get the anxiety yeah. kicks in. Or as my friend Jamie says, the fear kicks in and I'm like, what am I doing drawing my sketchbook? I have a sequence to finish. So <laughs> I'll just get, I'll get to work right. and just start drawing right, right away instead of yeah. sketching. Well, but if I, 
if so I'm that's in interesting sequences or whatever i will draw on my sketchbook so yeah. you've seen maybe so have you seen a, a, so the dip now that it sounds like you're 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 seeing in, in your, your amount of sketching because that was an outlet i guess that you were like scratching an itch do you so you, yeah. you do you feel like it because maybe you're scratching a lot of that itch just doing the job that you do now in story that you don't feel like you need to do as much sketching or um, is it just because of time and like feeling like priority it doesn't it doesn't know, line up i think it's more time and priority okay. than feeling like the the itch is getting yeah scratched but i do you know i think there's a bit of uh it's scratching that sounds weird um <laughs> but uh because there well. there is kind of this thing where i'm like oh man i didn't draw what is wrong what is wrong with me i need to I need to sketch ahead or something like, so I do yeah. need to get it out if I'm, if I'm not yeah, sort of yeah, doing yeah. It in the day to, in the right. day to day. But typically it's sort of like, if I have a, I have a, a sequence to work on, I, you know, I'll tend to just dive into that. Right. I'm curious, John, you, you've worked at uh, Leica and, and Pixar that are, mm -hmm. you know, two iconic uh, oh, uh, studio in the uh, animation industry. Uh, Quite different, like I might, might be a little more indie-ish, uh, although the, uh, amazing uh, feature. And Pixar became just this massive studio, but always maintained the quality bar. Uh, how, how, by your experience, how would you differentiate the the, the culture at both uh, at both studio? Um, I had a. All right, we're going to get into some true talk now. This might piss some people off. <laughs> oh uh, boy! I had a rough. I had a rough time at Leica. Um, part of it was it was my first, like I'd done feature boards at some of the smaller studios, but that was, um, you know, that there wasn't a lot of oversight. And the person that, the main person that sort of took over directing, who also happened to be the CEO, was not a filmmaker, didn't know what they're doing. Um, so there wasn't a lot of notes and a lot of, and then my friend and I who were working there have put it on ourselves of like, all right, we're going to, we're going to be the ones that push each other to get better at this because, you know, the company's not going to do it because they just don't have that skill set. And so mm -hmm. when I got to Leica, you know, amazing story team, love the story team. Everyone on it was really great. Um, mm -hmm. The culture was very weird there. Uh, I think, uh, I think part of the reason the culture was weird there is it, it's sort of the story team was very quiet. Mm. and kind of off in the corner mm. and at the time it was sort of like animation was king and i think part of that's because you know travis the boss he's an animator and he is like an unbelievable animator like he is an exceptionally gifted animator really good um and i've seen him do amazing stuff uh but story was kind of off in the corner very quiet and it, it almost i don't know there was something there was some sort of dark thing there and I think part of it was the there was a director that had been there that had kind of a reputation for being a little more abusive of the story team. And so I think a lot of people kind of had, mm. you know, a mild version of PTSD um, just from <laughs> sort of that experience. And right. uh, so the culture was really weird there. Um, I, I love the I love the director I worked with, super talented. Um, he uh chris butler he's he was amazing and an unbelievable story artist as well um and the script that he wrote for paranorman was really good and i learned i learned a lot there because it was sort of the first sort of feature boarding that i was doing yeah. um mm -hmm. but 
I just did not, I did not fit in at that studio and they weren't very clear with how long I was going to be there. So there was a lot of confusion when they mm. wrapped me and um, it just kind of left a bad taste in my mouth, unfortunately. Um, and, but yeah, it's just, it's kind of a weird, and uh, I guess at the, I don't know what it's like now. A lot of the people I know aren't there anymore. Um, mm -hmm. but it was just kind of a tough, it was very, and it's like, it was just very different from Pixar where day one, you can really tell that the, you know, they'll work you hard and there's been some, you know, there's been problems. It, it is, it's no picnic by any means, but just by the way that they treat you when you start and how they want to set you up for success and everything, it's just a very different, it's a very right. different environment. And, you know, Pixar has the luxury of you know, they have a bunch of successes and they have a lot of money backing them. So they can do a lot of stuff that I just think Leica uh, mm. didn't have the infrastructure for, or maybe the money for as well. But I also don't know if, you know, I, I, I often felt like they just sort of needed someone to kind of go in and say, Hey, there's some issues here. Mm. Um, and maybe you guys should work with this. Cause I've, I've, bumped into people and made friends with other story artists that had sort of similar shorter stints at the studio that I had. And they all have very similar stories. It's interesting. Um, it's, it, it's because I mean, obviously Pixar, I feel like they, they, it's, it's very clear that one of the things that drives them is story. So like they, mm -hmm. they, the, the story departments are obviously um, going to be at the center of many of the, the sort of the, the focus, especially early on in the production. Um, so that must have also felt weird in, in just feeling that like, you know, you make your feature films, it should be probably kind of like the stories at the heart of everything and to have a story department that seems, seems almost muzzled or, or maybe not, mm -hmm. not muzzled is not the right word, but just maybe not as assertive or as, uh, as vocal yeah. as you might expect. It was just a quieter group, but I think the, yeah. I think the main difference, I think the main difference from, you know, uh, Uh oh, bigger studios. Oh, oh, yeah, you you froze, but you're back. Welcome back. My internet is awesome, by the way. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think I think part of the difference is just kind of uh, money. Um, yeah. Pixar, the story process is very iterative, and we do a lot of screenings. Um, Give, like how many story. do you think roughly? Like how many times do you feel like you screen a story oh, like on average there? it's different on it depends on, the, on every the project movie, but it's yeah. it's like it's a lot of screenings and then we do there's an audience preview which mm. is sort of like some finished stuff some rough animation layout and then boards mm. and we get <clears> feedback <throat> and then we make sort of final adjustments like mm. that um mm -hmm. but it's a lot and like a like is different like a from what i saw when i was there like a really spends a lot of time working the scripts because mm. they only seem to get like two or three shots at the story. And mm. um, as an example, like uh, I worked on the very first screening of Paranorman and the final version of the movie is not that different. Most of the oh, know, wow. dialogue changes and stuff, most of the changes were um, sort of, uh, locational as opposed to mm -hmm. like, it, it's sort of based on like, can we figure out a different way to do this part because we don't yeah. have to build a set? Like, right. Um, yeah. It's I like logistical on, changes. 
Yeah, I did a I did a bunch of I did a bunch of stuff where you know when the the witches appearing in the clouds and Norman is like climbing up that ladder to mm-hmm. the top of the church steeple or or town hall or whatever it was I can't remember. I boarded the first version of that and he was actually inside the tower running up sort of like mm-hmm. a circular staircase and it was obviously easier just to build a ladder and have him do that instead of having yeah. to build a whole other set so it was like a lot of most of the changes that i noticed anyways were more like that but the story was pretty much the same right um pixar the two movies that i worked on the first screening is was not the film at all it was very different like totally different hmm so, and uh, how much uh, how much did they rely on uh user on user test, that, that's one of the, or audience uh, testing, that's one of the things that surprised me the, 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 the most when I was, uh, for the Furious, I was at, at DreamWorks, is that they would do those mm-hmm. presentations to different audience or different group age uh, in the uh, Orange County, for instance, and then they would come back with hundreds of notes, and then, mm-hmm. and the change that those notes made on the movie, I was like, holy shit, those are major change, and I was always you know, sometimes was like, yeah, they, they are right. And on the other side, I was like, but we have amazing, talented team of writers and story uh, uh, artists. Why don't we just trust their their <laughs> instinct on uh, on this one? So how how did you see those audience testing impact the, uh, the the story? And what's your opinion about this process in general? I I think the the audience previews are awesome, and I think the um, the changes for the most part are very positive. Um, most of the, you know, uh, I would say the story works so much by that point, And a lot of people have seen them and, you know, people at Disney have seen them by this point, you know, the crew and the story and all this have seen like multiple iterations of the movie. So a lot of the notes from the audience preview are typically like clarity stuff where you've been working on the movie for three or four years you understand this point but you know the explanation of that point or the clarity of that point has kind of gotten lost and so it's just sort of like oh the audience doesn't know that this guy's name is theodore maybe we should have someone call him theodore so it's like stuff like that and then a lot of it is just sort of like uh we could use a little comedic punch up here and this part could be a little funnier and um it's it's a lot of stuff like that it's Generally, it's not like massive, huge changes at that point. And it's very, um, it's very surgical just because of the amount of the movie that's in production at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it is 12, 13 here. Um, obviously there, I guess it's what, 10, 9, 9, 13, where you are? John? 9, 13. Yeah, there you go. So we're, we are quickly running out of time as we always do. Um, I wanted to make sure that chat, you had a chance to drop some questions. I don't see a lot in there yet, but it's probably because you you're used to me kind of just ignoring you until the end of the stream. Um, I don't know if you, if, if you have something, now's a good time to ask it. I see one here. Um, uh, I mean, it's, it's pretty specific. I don't know if John's gonna be able to a- answer it quite specifically, but I think the question is pretty much along the lines of uh, like, let's let's see if there's something we can touch on here i'm just i mean there's a there's a there's a curiosity here as as to how bigger studios deal with um you know the the, the clash quote unquote between like post-production team and uh, and so like hold on let's just i'll read the question as it is how these how do these big studios deal with the clash 
that happens between post-production teams or other production teams. So I, I guess I, I'm assuming that they're, I mean, they're probably pulling from experiences on their own, whatever, wherever they've worked, their own, their own professional experience. Um, but I guess the clash is maybe just disagreements or that, um, there, there, you know, is there like, how, how do you, how does, how does a, how does a team at Pixar or these bigger companies you worked at, how does it deal with keeping the glue together? I guess. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's, um, I don't know, but I'm not sure if I understand the clash, the clash part. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to have your perspective, but for me, the clash is basically, you know, when you're in a big production, you can mm. be like 200, 300, 500 people. They're like little clan that, that, that kind of, mm. uh, and often it's per department. And in my experience, it's always a question of relationship. When you're mm. a leader, a supervisor, you, it's your responsibility to, you, you cannot be friends with everyone on the floor, but you need to know your team. You need to have a good relationship with your team and you need to have a good relation team, re relationship with the other leaders of the uh, other team. Because if there's a disagreement, let's say there's a character design change that is screwing up story or, 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 or whatnot, it comes down to do you have a good relationship with those people then you can you sit down and objectively say okay let's put card on the table how do we deal with uh, this the problem i've witnessed is usually when you have people that do not like each other they don't want to interact with each other so when there's a problem and they are in charge of figuring out the solution it often doesn't go super well and if on top of that they start to you know talk about their team about, oh, all right, this other department, then you're kind of, you know, uh, putting your entire team to be antagonized with mm -hmm. the uh, other team. So it, it, for me, it's always a question of relationship. And when you're a leader, you're not yeah. going to be friends with think... everyone, but you need to respect and have a good relationship with. Everyone. Right. So I think, um, I think there's a couple things to unpack there. I think part of it is, um, I think part of it is the director uh, needs to be able to very clearly communicate why a big change, like you mentioned a character mm -hmm. design change that's causing ripples throughout the production and it's causing a problem. The director needs to articulate why this change is important and mm -hmm. how it'll affect the story and, and why, they're, why, they, why they feel that it needs to be made. And there needs to be an open dialogue, which I think at Pixar, there usually is a pretty good open dialogue of kind of like, all right, we can do this, but that means that we're going to have to not do some of the other stuff. So like, what are the, it's like figuring out what are the priorities, you know, we can change this for you, but um, that means that we're not going to be able to do these other couple of things. And then just from a leadership perspective from, from my end, and I think a lot of the other you know, leads in other departments uh, hopefully think the same way as um, story is kind of a different animal than than uh, production. Like not every not everyone on a production team, not everyone maybe in layout, but an animation, but sort of past that, not everyone gets direct access to the director like we do in story. So we're kind of mm -hmm. there's like a privilege there that we have. And so that, you know, you can bring up sort of concerns and, and issues. Um, but my goal as leading the story team was always like, was always to make sure that the team knew that they had a voice in the movie. So if, you know, they, if they bring up a concern to me, 
um, you know, if there's time and we're, we're in that stage where production mm -hmm. hasn't started yet and we have more access to time with the director, um, I'll try to set up time so then that the team or the person can express their concerns or their ideas to the director. Mm -hmm. If we're in that production period where time with the director is precious and we don't, I make sure that uh, the team knows that I will talk to the director and then I will communicate back sort of what the answer was or what the reasoning is, or they like the idea and this is why they like the idea or they didn't like it. And this is what they're actually going mm -hmm. for. And so a lot of it just comes down to clearly communicating. And a lot of that is on, you know, the, the soups and the leads shoulders of being that voice, you know, between the, the director and the, and the team. And you've, I think a lot of just making sure that people um, have that have that voice uh, is like a huge is a huge part of making sure that that sort of ang as my friend and I call it the angry pirate ship doesn't happen and you get into the <laughs> mutiny territory. Yeah. You got to keep those pirates happy, and that's you do that through communication and just making sure that they know that they have a voice, whether it's directly or through you. It, you know, reflecting on what you just said there, it's, it, it really resonates in my mind because if I look back on the productions that I've been on, the ones that have struggled the most with those mutinous sort of sort of uh, where mor morale just drops through the floor and people are just generally unhappy, it usually comes down to what you just said. It comes down to A, not having a voice. So people have ideas or thoughts or concerns and there's no outlet for that. And B, if even if you do get some of that, if there's no transparent logical explanation and context providing reasons as to why the change is important and why it needs to happen. If those two things are met, I've always, I, I, I can honestly say on those are the productions that are that then in, in my past, which unfortunately is very few, because I feel like these problems do exist. They're quite mm -hmm. rampant in the, in the, in the creative business like this, like creative businesses like ours. Um, but yeah, I guess that's a testament to, to, like personality and just experience and, and these bigger companies. So hopefully some of them have the wherewithal to realize that that's, that's how you make it. That's how you make a pirate ship happy. Like you said. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, so I have another question here. Um, let's see. We have it from, I don't know. Is E8? E8. What would you change if you could go in the past, maybe uh, in your education or maybe something else personal? Like, would you, knowing what you know now that you're now doing story and that you obviously like it quite a bit, is there like, would you have chosen a different path for yourself? Um, yes and no. I sort of feel like all of my, all of my <clears throat> experiences are what helped me and makes <clears throat> me pretty good at my job now. So it's kind of hard to, you know, armchair quarterback, uh, my decisions, but I think, yeah. um, you know, I, I, maybe the, the, the thing that I wish I could change is just sort of, I wish I had a focus on animation and drawing earlier, kind of before college, uh, just because I had like a totally different career path that I was going to that I was going to go down and, and uh, I wanted to work in film. My uncle, my uncle worked in the film industry in Vancouver. And so I'd go hang out with him on set <clears throat> and I used to want to be a stunt man. And that was kind of my goal. <laughs> and then I was visiting, I was in Ontario visiting my grandparents uh, between uh, 11th and 12th grade. 
and um, uh, there was a, my grandparents would rent a cottage on uh, the lake, you know, every year and the family would go out and visit them. And so I, you know, went out and was visiting my grandparents and my aunts and uncles and stuff. And I was coming back from the lake one day and there was this woman who was sitting, you know, near the beach and she was drawing her baby and it was an amazing <laughs> drawing. And I loved, I loved drawing. Like I was drawing comic books and all that kind of stuff, but you know, this is pre-internet. So I wasn't, it didn't really click with me, even though I had like the art of Walt Disney book, it didn't really click with me that animation could be a job and that mm. you could train for it. It was just sort of mm. like, I don't know how that happened. It was just like robots or something get to do it. <laughs> I don't know. And, uh, I was like, wow, where did you, where'd you learn to draw like that? And she says, I learned to do that at Sheridan college. And I said, Sheridan no college, way. where's that? She's like, it's in Oak I was like, oh, wow. And she's like, do you like animation? And she took illustration there. And I was mm. like, I like animation. And she was, well, they have an animation program. I was like, you can go to school for animation. <laughs> and so my grandparents were like it. super not happy about me wanting to be a stuntman when I finished grade uh. 12. And so we drove, you know, our time at the cottage was finished. I sort of told them, I was like, wow, did you know that there's this school in Oakville? My grandparents live in Guelph, <laughs> Ontario. And I was like, did you know there's a school where you can learn animation? And they're like, huh. And so we drove three hours back to their house. I helped oh my, my grandpa unpack the car. We've got all the stuff in the house. And he's like, get in the car. I'm like, where are we going? He's like, we're going to Oakville. It's in the middle of the summer. <laughs> I hop in the car. We drive to Oakville. The school is a ghost town. There's like yeah, tumbleweeds going through Sea Wing. And uh, there was that one, uh, the one secretary that was in the art department that was the secretary when you and I were there, Brent. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, we just went and talked to her. And my grandfather was like, oh, this is my grandson. And he's interested in animation. And so she was like, oh, okay, blah, blah, blah. They gave us like the, the course book. Yeah, yeah. Some flyers and stuff and she's like walk around i think there's still some art up the animation area is there and so i saw some like drawings of like bouncing balls and stuff and a couple of <laughs> cool character drawings and i was like wow animation and so i went um i went oh and then so we got we got back to my grandparents house and um this amazing this amazing thing happened my aunt goes sheridan college I went to school, I went to like elementary school or grade school with someone who went to Sheridan College. And I think he <laughs> teaches there now. Oh my let God, me, who was it? Um, let me talk to him. And so before I went home to go to school, back to school, um, my aunt uh, was like, oh yeah, he, il he illustrates children's book and he teaches at Sheridan. It was Werner Zimmerman. No and way. So, oh, that's so um, funny. I went to Werner's house. And wow. met him and he was super nice. How did I, showed, how did I never hear the story? That's crazy. I don't know. And uh, he showed me um, this children's book that he was working on. Yeah, he was yeah. working on these like stretched watercolor paintings and mm. they were amazing. And I was just like, my jaw was on the floor the whole time. He's so talented, this guy. Yeah. And uh, he was the, he taught life drawing at Sheridan. Actually, he wasn't teaching then though. He didn't come back until my second year, I think. Oh, okay. Maybe later in first year i can't remember but uh so um you know to date myself again uh verner was like here's my do you have access to a fax machine i was like my mom has a fax, fax machine, machine 
at her office. Yeah. Um, he's like, well, here's my number. If, if you have questions, send me a fax. He's like, <laughs> I might take a while to get back to you, but I will get back to you. That's and right. So we didn't, we didn't home. email questions back then. We faxed them to each yeah, other. Email didn't exist yet. There was yeah. maybe, there was maybe BBSs and that was it. That's it. That's bulletin board. That's crazy. Bulletin board system. So, uh, I, um, so over the la my last year of high school, I would fax back and forth with Werner and um, he, you know, I, would, and I wasn't asking the right questions, but I would be like, um, I want to figure out how to paint. What paint should I buy? And so he, and <laughs> so amazing. I would get these like 11 page oh, yeah, faxes for sure. back on that weird waxy paper. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. You have these long lists of like, he's like, I like Windsor Newton. These yeah, are the yeah, colors. Yeah, I there's yeah, there's yeah. Cotman which is sort of the student version of Windsor Newton. You can probably have a better chance yeah. of affording those. And so I would write all this stuff down and know what colors I needed to get. And he would talk about sort of drawing and how I should look at things. And, um, well, that's cool. You yeah, had like yeah, a nice so, inside scoop there before you even went. Yeah, cheater. I didn't, I didn't, uh, my portfolio did not get me into Sheridan. That's a whole other story. Oh, but man. I eventually <laughs> got in. Um, but it was, it was this amazing friendship that came out yeah. of that sort of luck. Um, and uh, you know, I'm grateful to him and learned so much. And then, you know, he would, when he came back to the the school, I would do extra life drawing classes. Like he would let me sneak in. Yeah. To, yeah. Yeah. Class he was. Oh, that's was awesome. Doing. So I would get, you know, I was getting like double or triple the life drawing. Cause I had to catch up. Which was everything back then. Like literally yeah, everything. everything, all the, all the animators who really like clicked with life drawing, they were usually the ones that took off because it was sort of like, you'd learn so much from spending time drawing from life. Um, which is something that's sadly missing from from the 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 discipline these days. Um, and I mean, it was it was definitely more important back then because we needed to have the drafts, the, the the drafting skills to be able to draw all the ideas that we have to animate. But there is still something that you can can be gleaned as far as like good strong posing, lines of action. This stuff was yeah. also just being absorbed as you got better at that. And so it's uh, you know people have to. You know, it's that's that stuff doesn't go away. You still have to get good at those things, but I find it doesn't find itself in the curriculum anymore. It's like something that animators just have to figure out somehow, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like an additional layer as opposed to it was just built right into the job, like learning how to draw better and and, right. and therefore getting better at posture and silhouettes and all these other important things. Yeah. Um I don't I I don't um, I don't have any other questions coming up in chat but I had I had I mean we're kind of at the end David do you have something cuz I was going to drop one more last little question Yeah I've a uh, last one for me coming yeah. back to so uh, um John how, how long did you work on on Luca Uh 3 and a half years Wow Is there any point that you're like you know, a, a lack of motivation working on the same project for three and a half years. Um, I haven't, I haven't hit that. Uh, I haven't hit that yet. Um, I think there's enough sort of stuff that enough stuff that changes and, and uh, enough fires to put out that it kind of keeps things interesting. Like I was on, when I worked on cars three, I think I was on cars three for four years and then i was doing cars shorts before that so i basically was drawing those characters for around five years straight um minus a couple of little targeted you know helping out on other films but i was pretty much drawing mcqueen and mater and Cruz and all that for 
you know, five years straight. So I have a, I guess I have a, a, a stamina for that uh, kind of longer form. And I, you know, I asked to, I was on from the first screening on cars three and I asked to stay to the end just because I wanted to understand because the, the goals and the sort of the uh, tasks of the story artist change from, you know, from first screening to last screening. And I sort of wanted to see like, what's the whole, what is the whole time on story on a film look like? And, mm. you know, what's the, where's the sweet spot? What do I like most? And, um, you know, and, and it, it's all interesting, but uh, yeah, I, I guess I just, uh, so far I've had the stamina to stick it out. <laughs> it's, it's uh, it's interesting because like these big feature productions last about as long as these you know big AAA video game productions. It's like because video game productions they are a bit of a grind for sure, yeah. um, because they can last a long time and people do start to get a, get a little bit le a little bit more disillusioned. But I think it comes back down to whether it feels like people are going in a good direction for that number of years, and it's like it's just about like it's just a lot of work. We got to get there because we believe in it. It can yeah. be very difficult if you have a, a team of like you said, pirates that are starting to wonder whether they should maybe just go for the loot themselves. And it, it, um, but yeah, it's, it, 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 it takes a lot of discipline, I guess, to really stay on target. But if, if you're working and reworking and always energetically kind of talking about story and you're on a very interesting one, I guess that, that it doesn't, uh, doesn't weigh down too heavily on you. Yeah. I think, I think I've had the benefit too of, um, you know, I think a lot of it too is liking the, the people you're working with. Um, yeah, for sure. My, my buddy, my buddy Craig and I always talk about, you know, we've both been like in the industry for 20, oh God, 26 years now. Um, and a lot of it is, is, you know, you can't always, you can't always walk away with a great project, but you can always walk away with great yeah. relationships that you made yeah, on that yeah. project. And that's yeah. kind of the thing. So like, if you're working yeah. with a team that you like, if you're working with a director that you like and get along with, that's a huge that's sure. a huge part of it. And then at, you know, at Pixar, I was lucky because when I went in, when I went into the studio, I was in the uh, sort of the feature or sorry, the franchise shorts department, which was, mm. they had a studio in Vancouver that were doing these franchise shorts that were toy story and car shorts. And that was kind of where I was. And, and it, there was a bit of a stigma there because it wasn't a feature. It wasn't a feature story department. Yeah. It was just the shorts and it yeah. was kind of, and because the screenings weren't sort of as broadcast through the studio and through the story yeah. department, like they were in the features. I wasn't getting exposure yeah. to anyone. Right. So no one knew what I could do. And I struggled at the studio for a long time. Like mm. it took me a while to figure out how to do the job. And mm. um, I kind of had to relearn everything that I sort of started to figure out at Leica. And it was when I started working on the car stuff that I started, my work started to click and connect with people. Right. And I got, and I kind of had a connection with the characters, which I think is a big thing of that sort of long staying too. And the guy that was directing the shorts happened to be the guy that was going to direct the the feature. And so he brought in his head of story one day to see me pitch a short. And then they asked me to come on to, um, to cars three. And so that, that was kind of a big, like, I felt a certain amount of uh, dedication to those guys because they got me out of the shorts and got me on feature finally and that's yeah, when yeah. i sort of started to able to lay the groundwork and 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 get noticed and people could see the skill right. set that i had um so i think that's kind of part of it too of just sort of like it's connection to the characters and the people you work with 
Awesome. Okay, final question, um, and then I'll I'll cut you loose and allow you to enjoy your busy day. Um, so if there out of out of this long crazy path that you've been on, um, what is a particularly standout moment that that all that you that sort of resonates in some way, or one of them, one of the many, but like a moment that you really felt like was a like a, a a turning point somehow, like or like a, a either either it was a very difficult moment or it could have been a very positive moment, but some big change happened there that like you learned something from that um, that uh, shaped who you are and what you do today. Oof, man, that is a good tough question to end on. I'm gonna stall for a You're minute welcome. while I try You're to welcome. figure out the, <laughs> what my answer is. I like is to it- start weak and then end strong. That's my thing. It's, 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 it's the eye. It's the eye. <laughs> yeah, actually, Brent, that's a good thing. Your, your face didn't inflate it. It didn't. Much yeah, there was yeah. no exploding. Sorry, sorry, that's Chad. Good. You were expecting something really gory at the end. I, all I had was a big, annoying question instead of my <laughs> eye exploding. <laughs> I'm full um, of surprises. I don't know. I think the, geez, what is it? I mean, there's got to be, I, mean, I know there are many. You probably have a hard time pa- yeah. calling out which one, right? I think, I think the, uh, I think the probably the biggest one was that kind of uh, crisis moment of mm. realizing that animation, like being being an animator, was not yeah. doing it for me. Like this was the goal that I'd been chasing for years, sure. yeah. and then I finally achieved it, and I was like, "That's it. This is how yeah. this feels." Like, <laughs> No party? What is, like what is wrong with me? What am I gonna do with my life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I yeah. think that I think that was a big that sort of that was at least the turning point of me realizing, all right, these are the things that I need to dig to and start um yeah. and start learning. So I think that was huge. And then I think uh, you know, um and then I think the other big turning point for me was when I got hired by by Pixar because I sort of, you know, I'd had all of these experiences where I was kind of getting to do the job that I wanted to do, but it didn't necessarily feel legit because it was at mm. either, you know, it was at these startup companies mm-hmm. that uh, I was just kind of like, well, they just hired me because they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't really <laughs> hire me because I did. Got it. Got it. It was, yeah, it was easy so, to sort of like not reward yourself with success because yeah, yeah, it was yeah. like these guys, you know, what they, they, I just got like, they had no idea, but Pixar hiring you was some sort of validation in your hard work and journey. Yeah. Cause even, you know, I, 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 I did that work and then, you know, and then I would get some like legit, legit work and sometimes it wouldn't go well. Like the Wolverine mm. thing, the yeah. director was not that uh, pleased with my work. And I was kind of like, Oh man, I still suck. That's too bad. And, uh, um, and then, you know, and then, but then it was like, all right, back to work. You got to figure this out, man. This is what you want to do. So then it was like Mm. back to the drawing board and like start grinding. Let's figure this thing out and pull in all the information. And slowly, um, you know, I had, uh, I started watching a lot of director's commentaries and a couple of, a couple of filmmaking things kind of went off in my head as far as oh, I don't think about that when I'm boarding. I don't think about that. And so I went back to a sequence that I boarded, boarded at Critter Picks and I reboarded some of it and I restaged it and, and would size things up and down mm-hmm. and sort of got my cutting to work better. And I was like, oh, it's starting uh-huh. to actually feel like a movie now. 
So yeah. that was sort of like an epiphany of, of, right. Oh, and that kind of, and it was actually one, that was one of the sequences that was in my portfolio that oh, I got, they got you off of. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, so you know, it was, and even like, yeah, and even like, I got, you know, I got let go from like after the first screening. And again, it was kind of like, oh, I thought I was doing a good, good job. I guess not. Guess not. I still <laughs> oh, well. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, well, it's interesting because a, a theme that has been materializing out of all these conversations is this sort of, you know, put yourself out there and just keep like, you know, take opportunities and roll with it because what the, the path that you, 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 you might be convinced you're supposed to be on may not be the path that will end in some sort of realization. It may just be the path that brings you to the truth path. Like it's, yeah. you don't always very rarely do people start in this one path and they stay on it the entire lives. Yeah. Like, especially in these creative uh, industries, it's the people that are able to pivot and to just, you know, keep moving forward and following sort of their own ambitions and their own hearts to kind of just just accept challenges and 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 keep keep moving forward. And they find yeah. themselves after time because sometimes it's just you don't know. You just you think you know. Animation is interesting to a lot of people, but it's it's also it's like it's kind of like it's it, it attracts a lot of different people, even though they may not be meant for specifically the task of animating you yeah. know animation industry in general there are a lot of things like i know people that started um at sheridan as anime as animators and then they moved on to become like like background painters because they get mm -hmm. exposed to that in the class but they don't really kind of dig into it and then but eventually they do you know like there's so many things that might like that niche may materialize but it may take a while you know yeah, I, think uh, I think there's a there's a benefit to you know at, you, you're coming out of school you want to get hired by the big studio mm -hmm. Um, and you want that sort of dream job. But I think there's, you know, definitely in my career, I benefited a lot from working at a lot of these smaller places because yeah, you're, sure. you're kind of forced to wear all these hats. Yeah, And so exactly. I, you know, I got to learn all of these disciplines and, you know, part of it is, you know, jack of all trades, master of none, which is not mm -hmm. necessarily the greatest, but all of, all of that stuff that I've learned, I've been able to apply to my yeah. current craft for which sure has been super helpful but then also it's allowed me to be you know malleable when i've been yeah. in those situations where work has been pretty scarce and i was pretty mm -hmm. bad at drumming up um you know freelance work but then because i'd done a bunch of different stuff when that thing it's like hey do you want to design a triceratops in a cheerleader <laughs> uniform i'm like yeah i could probably do that sure throw it <laughs> why at not me. this is the weirdest why thing not? i've ever drawn what is wrong with you people so <laughs> I think there's, you know, I think there's, there's benefit of, uh, yeah. focusing on, uh, just working on your, working on your craft and exposing yeah. yourself to a lot of different things and, yeah. and you'll sort of, you'll find it. It's that whole. And, and developing relationships, like you said, right. Yeah. You, you, you'll find yourself on projects that may not be inspiring, but you could be inspired by the people around you and just yeah. who knows what those relationships will end up becoming later on down your life. Like yeah. you never know, right? Like, uh, you know, if I knew now, if I knew then that you were going to become like a, you know, had a story at Pixar, I might've tried a little harder, you know, painting cells for you. I could have squeezed out <laughs> at least two or three more, yeah. at least two or three more. I, I know I had it in me, but you know, I yeah. just was, I was phoning it in at the time. Well, I, I so, think part of it too is like recognizing, recognizing mentors as well early yeah, on and just sort sure. of asking these people, like Soaking when I, up. when I, when I figured mm -hmm. out what I wanted to do, Don was getting a lot more storyboard questions mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and, and just sort of finding those key people at different spots in your life of, mm -hmm. 
you know, who can I talk to about this? And, you know, um, Ronnie Del, Ronnie Del Carmen, uh, who was an amazing, amazing story artist at, at Pixar and co-director and everything, unbelievably talented guy. I, you know, I sort of knew him from this online forum that we were part of, but I basically just cold contacted him because I didn't know how to put a story portfolio together when I decided right. what I wanted to do. And so I asked, he I asked him and he sent me this great email back of just oh, sort man, of like, so... this is the kind of stuff he's like, I'm not going to speak for Pixar, but this is the yeah. kind of stuff that people are looking for. Right. And he, I, that's how I was able what to a, wrap my head around. What a gift. How to do There's, it. And there... it's recognizing that. And then the other side of it is, is, you know, you want to pay it forward. So yeah. anytime someone contacts me with like, Hey, I don't know how to do this. I always try to give a little bit of something or, you know, and, and yep. at work, new people come on, you know, show them the ropes, help them yeah, out, yeah. like teach them, you know, same people, people did the same thing for you. So, you yeah. know, it, it's only going to benefit everybody. So I just yeah, think yeah. that's a huge, that's a big part of it. Yeah. Inspiring words, Mr. Hoffman. Well, I would like to personally thank you for taking the time uh, today. Obviously you got lots of things going on. Um, I look forward to your next, um, your next thing for, uh, for obvious reasons. Um, thank you from the community for being here and to just, to, to just be so, so generous with your time. Thank you. And, uh, it's, it was nice catching up. Yeah, you know, it, I, I think you. I need to, I need to stop sucking so much and, you know, not require a, an online stream to actually catch up with you. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe, still, maybe just do our, our chat with, uh, our, our yeah, Basner. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, we did. We do. We got to bring him in. There's, there's a, yeah. there's a bunch of people. We should put the whole band back together and have yeah. regular chats. I, Maybe put a uh, nice cold pack on that eye before you. Do I it, went, so I yeah. Well, that, good, so. the, the good news is Petar, Petar, he's, he's, he's actually starting a GoFundMe for my oh, eyes. Nice. Like, so like, there is hope for my eye. I think that yeah. as long as we get enough money in there. So if you, you know, if you can donate to the cause, that yeah. would be great. If, if, yeah. if Petar puts the, uh, puts that link up, I'll, uh, make you, sure you'll, you'll contribute. Okay. Thanks a lot. <laughs> that, a, that, couple that, of a couple of bucks to your eye. Thanks a lot. Recovery my plan. eye, my eye. Thanks yeah. you for the that. De, yeah, the de swollening or whatever. It's yeah. Called. Whatever it's going to take. I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. Okay. Well, uh, thank you gentlemen. We'll see you around. Um, thank you, John. And uh, we'll see you uh, chat on the next on the next adventure yeah. um, in on online. Thanks, David. Bye, Thanks, Brent. Cheers. Okay. Thanks, guys. Um, yeah. So luckily, my eye did survive. Kind of like how? What's? Let's take a look. Oh my god! It it's like the one. It's like, it really looks like it's a black eye. Like it looks like someone like totally punched me out. It's bad news. I have to put this greasy ointment in it. And it, it's like, it's just like trying to stare through Vaseline. It's, it's a lot of fun. I really do recommend it. if you get a chance to have a swollen eye like this, you should totally go with it. Uh, well, so that was awesome. It was nice to catch up with John. Um, I mean, it's, it's funny. I, it, it's, it's sad because I felt like I was getting the chance to, um, to reconnect over the last few years because I, I was showing up GDC and I would always make a point of trying to go and hang out with my old friend and uh, we would have a lunch together and we would, just you know shoot the shoot the you know what and um and uh it was just it was just fun hearing all the crazy stories that he would uh he would come up with when i when i caught up with them so it was uh it was i was sad that you know the last couple of years there was no no gdc to go to but at least uh we got to have kind of one of those little catch-ups here today on stream so uh thanks for being here chat uh, as always nice to have you in in the um 
in the um in the front row seat and um obviously the next uh the, the next uh, time we will see each other it's like it's not we're gonna i'm not gonna i'm not around next week i'm gonna be actually enjoying some family time um uh at a, at a cottage believe it or not um it's gonna be weird not to be staring at a monitor for a week but I'll, I'll try to manage it probably be good for my eye um but um you know there so there is a bit of a hiatus next week uh not a lot of things going online um but uh the the week the, the back in september we're going to be hitting the ground running with uh with more content so i will see you then probably um have a good uh rest of your your day night whatever and um we'll um we'll catch you on the next one stay animated cheers Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you got a lot out of it. Agora Community is a free resource for artists in the animation, visual effects and gaming industries, providing daily educational material, free rigs and assets. We also have a range of experts you can purchase affordable animation reviews from to help you level up your skills. You can check it all out at agora.community. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn for updates on upcoming conversations and free animation quick tips. So, until next time, stay tuned and stay animated.